Hello everybody, what's going on? My name is Jesse Rivera and I'd like to welcome you back to another edition of Comic Talk, the podcast. Today you will be listening to a podcast with my very dear friend, Ms. Tina Jett. She is going to talk about all things Disney and Disney Plus and give a little bit of background of her history with the Sacramento Comedy Spot. I love Tina. She is so funny. She's so amazing, so talented. But what I really like about one of the things that one of the many things that I like about Tina is that a long time ago, I realized that Tina is a Disney fangirl. She loves Disney. She loves to talk about Disney and she would write these little I guess um, she admitted that it was really just her like uh, going to the Wikipedia page of a Disney movie that she was about to watch and just like the classics like Alice in Wonderland and all of those. She would make these posts where she was just talking about the movie that she was about to watch and she would give a lot of history and background of the movie and I was like, wow, she really likes Disney and, and, and you all know that I'm a fanboy so anybody that is an extreme fan of anything... I can relate to it because that's the only way I know how to be a fan of things is just to go all the way in and Tina is definitely that with Disney so when Disney Plus launched it was really Tina's opinion that I wanted to hear as to whether or not Disney Plus was worth the subscription because you know we're all trying to save a buck wherever we can you know so I had Tina come over and talk about all things Disney Plus I I'm really glad that I did it because I learned so much more about Disney, so much more about Tina, and I love them both even more now after this podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Um, I also just want to say that on Tuesday, December the 17th, I will be at the Callback Bar for the Diversity Hire Show. This is going to be a really fun show. Um, come see a diverse lineup of comics, and it is everybody is on the show. Not everybody, of course, but... Really great lineup. Uh, the night will be hosted by Amy Estes. I am on the show. Wendy Lewis is on the show. Melissa McGillicuddy is on the show. Miriam Musavi, Marcus Mangum, and Heather Rogiers is on the show. So this is going to be a really fun night of comedy at the Callback Bar. And that's this coming Tuesday, December the 17th. And get this, guys. It's a free show. The show is free. Free. Gratis. Nada. Come enjoy some awesome comedy. Callback Bar. Of course, it's a bar. They've got drinks. But they've also got really great food, man. Try the chicken strips. Love them. They also have a great Caesar salad. Come on down and have some laughs. But until then, uh, please enjoy the next episode of Comic Talk with Miss Tina Jett talking all things Disney+. Plus. Peace. Have a great day. I want to talk about just uh, how I met you, obviously, was through the Sacramento Comedy Spot. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw you at the Comedy Spot. And then I soon realized, oh, wait, she's, like, in the Comedy Spot. Like, she's in the, she's in the like, lifeline of the Comedy Spot, right? I do some things. Yeah. So do you want to introduce yourself and talk about, like, your involvement with the Sacramento Comedy Spot? Sure. Um, my name is Tina Jett. Um, I am technically what's called the theater assistant at the Comedy Spot, and that's just helping run the day-to-day everything so I help you know with the bar kind of run the bar area and get the ordering I book the shows I do the website um all the 1030 organizing basically I'm the calendar person um under that role is also uh these are just technical terms like comedy school director so I basically am in charge of the comedy school in terms of like the admin side of things like I don't create the curriculum or anything but dealing with students and getting the classes posted and organized and getting the instructors what they need um (laughs) excuse me I do what else do I do oh um community outreach so I go to chamber of commerce meetings and then kind of help with like the fundraisers for charities program that we had where we'd have um outside charities we would perform shows for them and they would be able to raise money that way that program's changing a little bit um getting ahead of myself but so I do community outreach I do the comedy school and there's one other thing that I'm kind of forgetting um but that's it yeah all well, the that's th- it all the th- <laughs> that I so, do all the things so so says so Brian your boss yes Brian is so, your boss yeah and then the, uh, the bartenders like Troy and Mike and Allie and Patrick are were the other were the employees 
Nice, nice. And this this sounds like more than a job. This this really does sound like a labor of love. I mean, there's a lot because there's only so many of us doing the work. So, but it's it's a big wheel with a lot of <laughs> spokes that need attention. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. I was I was thinking the other day about um, how stressful it is to put on. Like I sometimes feel overwhelmed with putting on a couple of monthly shows mm-hmm. and a podcast here and there, and then being booked on shows. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming. A lot of work. But then I think about like how all the the folks at the comedy spot how like how you just said like that wheel never stops turning nope (laughs) i mean you have tuesday right well i mean we don't have shows you don't have shows on tuesdays but like if if everybody (laughs) needed to like regroup in one spot you you would have tuesday that you know that there's not a show but there's there's classes there's still a lot oh my gosh you're right there's still classes yeah we've got three classes running on tuesdays between the two locations so it's still yeah there's it's running 24 seven and then it's just a lot of communication because the community is so big. So, you know, everybody with messaging and getting their shows what they need and outside people that want to, you know, try to produce shows and things like that. So, and so even in doing all of that, you still find the time to have some fun and you're in a couple of shows. I am. I'm technically on a couple of shows. (laughs) Um, I wish I'd spent more time on them, but um, I'm on the Friday show, which is a monthly uh, sketch improv character based show, kind of a variety show. I love Um, the Friday show. I don't, I don't get to it as 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 often as I would like to, but I really call it like, a, a little Saturday Night Live like all you guys lack is the musical guest it's yeah we used to have a musical guest actually we used to oh do gosh. the show weekly and we had a musical guest because that took up some of the time where we <laughs> had to fill so we didn't do that anymore once we went monthly it kind of just became more of our thing so yeah the Friday show is amazing yeah so that's third Fridays at nine and then I'm also on Shortcuts which is our short form improv show so if you know the TV show Whose Line Is It Anyway it's basically that show on stage shortcuts is very fast paced Mm -hmm. very high energy yes and like if if you want to if you ever wanted to use the phrase a laugh a minute it it is definitely at that pace i have a ton of fun with that show that's yeah that's fourth right now it's fourth fridays it's going to fourth saturdays next month okay cool yeah that's that's my show that's (laughs) those those are both those are those are very fun shows i I love them both it's a good time so um the reason that that uh that I have you on the podcast today is that you are so I I have no problem calling myself a fanboy. I <laughs> obsess over things and I I find something that I like and and I want to learn everything about it. Sure. And so I I recognize uh fanboy fangirldom. <laughs> you could smell me coming in, in other people <laughs> and I and I'll be like, "Oh, that's a Star Wars fanboy." Oh, that's a baseball fanboy. Yeah. And in you, I was like, oh, she's a Disney fan girl. Yeah. And you want to talk about like what planted the seed in you to, um, I mean, everybody, okay, not, I, I know everybody is a huge umbrella, but most people love Disney. It's, mm-hmm. it's, sure. th- there's all these conspiracy things. I don't, th- this isn't that podcast. Yeah. We don't care about that. We talk about the stuff we love and the stuff we obsess over. Everybody loves Disney to an extent, but then you are like, <laughs> a curator, uh, a historian, uh, a factoid of <laughs> Disney information. Yeah. Where, where did that start? That That's kind of more my, my, my wheelhouse, as they say, with Disney. Um, I started as a fan, just like most kids did, but I'm, you know, being Gen X, because I'm old, um, I didn't. We're in our prime. We're in our prime. Um, I didn't have cable growing up. We just we couldn't afford it. It was wasn't a thing. I had it literally for one year in 1986 when my mom was like, "If to my brother, if you want it, you can go ahead and pay for it." And so he did. So I had it for one year, and I watched all the game shows. Um, so I never really got into a lot of the um, the TV shows that were out or any of the the 80s movies that were in the theaters because I just didn't I didn't have a lot of friends I was kind of just me and my books and whatever I could learn so I had maybe a couple books when I was little and I remember seeing some of the classics Um, I kind of fell off the Disney wagon in the 80s a little bit until I went to Disney World in Orlando for the first time when I was 12 so I'm kind of older than your current average first timer to a Disney park Um, we just were never able to get there in time or 
financially we were never able to get there. Dude, so I understand that. We had some, a lot of money. I remember um, I had a toy typewriter that was plastic, and I remember, I don't know where I got my stats, but I typed up a little piece of paper for my mom. was like, it will cost $2,000 to go to Walt Disney World. And I gave it to her, like, here's your incentive. Save up, like, <laughs> the balls of me. Um, so we went, and I loved it. And I love Disney for the non-traditional reasons. So I didn't really dive into a lot. I'm not a... I love and appreciate all the animated features and that's obviously a good chunk of what Disney is and the characters and all that but my interest in it is more back-end so I love Imagineering I love the creativity of what the company is able to do so then when I went to Disney for the first time um, they have the Epcot park and there were only the two parks at the time so there was just the Magic Kingdom and then Epcot and Epcot was created not based on any animated series or any IP or anything like that. It was created because of Walt Disney's love for innovation and technology and education mm. and, and community. Um, so, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Um, so Epcot was supposed to be an actual living city um, that he wanted to create, like an actual town that people bought into and, you know, built houses and, and everything. And it, it kind of faded off after he died and then people brought it back to life but not in the same way they decided to turn it into this park that was kind of a showcase for technology um using a lot of things that they actually had featured in uh i'm gonna get the year wrong the the world's fair that was in the 60s um disney was actually asked to do a lot of um presentations for some of the companies that were at the world's fair and so a lot of those ended up into epcot and so the park itself this is a long story but the park itself is kind of split into two areas where the front is um currently it's being changed, but currently called Future World. And then the back part is World Showcase. So the front part was just this technology museum, like where you could showcase all these different um, uh, things that were going to be happening in the future, like robots and everything. And in the 80s, of course, this was all like pretty new hot yeah. shit. So, so that's it was what very you... exciting. So I you know, got into all that. And then the World Showcase has like 11 different countries that you can go visit. And there's people that work there that are from these places that... Um, you know run them and it's like you're visiting these countries for real all the buildings are very much like scale models of everything you'd see there so i got into travel i got into education and it tapped into all these things that i just really loved and there wasn't at the time a single disney character to be found in the park like there were no rides there were, you know it, it wasn't it was more of an adult park and it was kind of meant to be that way but as a 12 year old i loved it and it was it was my jam i that was more of what i fell in love with and so the idea of imagineering was always appealing to me because you know i want to know how they did things why they did things because every every ride um every feature every attraction it has a backstory like there's a reason that they do things and if there's not an actual fictional or a non-fictional story that is based that these are based off of they'll create a story just so they have a guideline of how to make this thing come to life so um trying to think of even an example off the top of my head and i can't but i mean there's a reason not even a backstory but uh, the Magic Kingdom used to have red walkways. And one of the reasons they did that was because Kodak told them that if you had like a red base to your photographs, it would make colors pop. Wow. So they painted, so all the walkways used to be like a, a fairly bright red when you'd walk through the park and it was just to make everybody's pictures look better. So there's so much attention to detail that's there that's crazy and just the innovation. Like if they need something to happen, they have this core of engineers that just creates it they create technology and this technology ends up being used by everyone outside of disney it's like it becomes part of you know mainstream culture because they created it um okay so that that's all so exciting it's totally so, getting off tangent <laughs> but when so it, it brings me back to also like why i wanted to have you on the podcast is like maybe how long ago would the disney plus start a month and a half ago yeah and everybody was like th that day the internet was like disney plus boo disney plus yay yeah. disney this disney that and i being a consumer in america was like i want disney plus but can mm -hmm. i afford it should i get it yeah. what do i need to do and i was really on the fence and then you posted disney plus is great you need to watch and it's not word for word how, what you posted but yeah. you what i gained from a post that you made was Disney Plus is amazing. It's worth it. And you need to watch the documentary, <laughs> the, Ima the Imagineers or the, Imag the Imagineering story, the yep. Imagineering story. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like what you were touching on right now. Yeah, like what you were too much, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what, what the, the, the conversation that you just had was kind of the, the premise of this 
How many parts is it? This documentary on Disney Plus called The Imagineering. I think there's supposed to be six in total. Uh, number five just dropped, so that's that's where they're at right now. But I thought I might have read somewhere that there's supposed to be six six segments, something like that. But that's a, that, yeah, it's it's a really good it's a really good documentary on Disney Plus. And since we are now talking about Disney Plus, yeah. what do you? Um, how long ago did did you catch wind of that? Oh, this is going to be a thing and like how long had you been looking forward to Disney Plus and what were you hoping that it was going to be? I I honestly didn't pay too much attention to it. it I follow a lot of Disney things on Facebook, of course. Um, I used to work there, so I, I, it's still in my blood and, and all the stuff. I still try to follow as much as I can. Um, I, I'd just seen rumors like they have the D23 convention every year, which is kind of when they announce the new upcoming projects and everything. So it's been a kind of a rumor for a while. Um, and I didn't really pay any attention to it until I saw that they were going to bring this Imagineering story out. And it's just basically a documentary about the Imagineers and the creation of that entity of the company and, and its importance in the company. And it's also a bit of a history about the Walt Disney Company in general, which is really cool. So that was my main trigger. And I'm like, this is right now the only reason I want to like, do I need another streaming service? Because I'm, I'm older, so I'm not like a streaming baby. Like, to me, I think... Um, the whole service in general, if it had a target market, it's going to be millennials because they're kind of the first ones to come into that the, whole streaming world. Yeah, the, you know, the, that's the cable cutters. Yeah. Like yeah. that's or not you and cutters, I. Yeah. We're more analog. So right. I think it's, I think the the network itself is primarily geared towards millennials who are used to that streaming. So they know they're going to be able to, to touch on them. And then they also have kids. So they've got kids that they can, you know, hit up too. But the Imagineering series to me was like my gateway drug into it. The other things that I wanted to see were the Mandalorian because I'd seen previews of it and it looks amazing and of course is amazing. And then the other thing was the animated features that I figured were all going to probably end up on there because they used to have what's called the Disney Vault um, when the VHS tapes were basically the main way that you would get all your Disney features. Yes. Um, one of the jobs I had was working at the Disney store and they, you know, had the Disney vault. So we would carry whatever film titles they decided to release from the vault and then they would put them away for a while. It was a marketing tactic, basically, and then they'd put them away. And yeah, then it was a really good one. Ones. Yeah. So, like, you know, what? I want to I want to I want to backtrack a little bit. Uh, you said you worked at Disney. Yeah. What, what did what where? What did you do? How um, long? How I, old were you? What was it? Yeah. <laughs> Steve Martin worked there. Oh, really? Wait, I knew this. Yeah. That was Steve Martin's first real job. I forgot what he did, but I did. He worked in the magic shop. That's right. You're, yep. I did read that. I knew that. I knew that. Um, I failed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I started working on the Disney college program um, in the 90s. What um, so the Disney college program, it still exists. It's a little It's a little different now. I won't get into that tangent because I'm not feeling it as much as I used to. But it, basically, they had representatives that would go around to colleges in the United States and have seminars and would actually do one-on-one -on -one interviews with people to get you to come be an intern, basically, at the Disney parks. And at the time, it was just Walt Disney World that had it. So they would um, recruit college students to come work, basically, entry-level jobs for a semester but you'd also live with all the other college students in an apartment complex and then you would take like business classes to learn disney's philosophy on things which was my favorite part of it um but that's also where they got some of the international students to work at epcot in the world showcase was through the college program so they would stay for a year the u.s students would only stay for like a semester so did you know about so at this so when you're in college you're mm -hmm. already kind of like a uh, 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 proclaimed disney fan yeah I so mean, did you know about the program and, and then and then you you gravitated towards it or you're a college student and then it just fell in your lap like oh my gosh yeah they actually come on campus they let you know that they're coming and i was already you know a disney fan not a super huge mega fan but i was like i still was very much into them and i knew they were coming so i actually um interviewed three times three years in a row so my first was my sophomore year which uh, based on my personality back then I wouldn't have hired myself either <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't get it that year I I did it oh, I'm sorry I did it my freshman year which is even worse I did it my freshman year didn't make it sophomore year didn't make it and then my junior year they finally accepted me on the program so I took my spring semester of my junior year off and worked out there and that's where I met my husband and um, oh wow yeah so we did was he also in the program uh -huh. yeah so we did the program out there um, came back and of course, you know, when you do that program, you're kind of hooked, you've got the bug and want to go back again. So eventually we had the opportunity to, um, as we moved around a lot, we had the opportunity to go back to Florida. So we moved back to Orlando, um, for almost three years and I worked, um, at the 
Walt Disney Parks and Resorts office. So they have a place called Celebration that's off property. That's um, that's actually kind of a spinoff of that Epcot town that that Walt wanted to build. Celebration was a little bit like that. So they also had some of the business offices there. So I worked um, for three different managers, basically in the department that um, would put on like corporate events and, and things like that. We also had like the cruise line events. So if people did family reunions, they would go through that same department and the people that I worked for would help kind of coordinate all these events. And I was an assistant for that. So then I left and then went back home and then I'm sorry, I backed off. So after I did the college program, I worked at the Disney store and the Walt Disney gallery for a year, which was a, a very small spinoff of the Disney store. There was only six in the country. And I did that. It was almost like a Disney gallery that was attached to a Disney store. Um, so I learned. So the Disney stores used to be like a dime a dozen, right? They were, yeah. I remember like, so I, I grew up in Bakersfield and there was a Disney store everywhere. inside the mall. Yeah. They were everywhere. And back then they catered to adults and kids. Now they're mo- mostly kids focused. Uh-huh. Um, but back then you could find like a, a lot of adult themed items and, and things like that sound really bad. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you could find, you know, things more geared towards adults. It wasn't just kind of a kid's store. Um, but the Walt Disney gallery, there were only six in the country and for some bizarre reason, in northeast ohio they decided to put one at the mall that i worked at and it was kind of like um a walt disney gallery where they had like a lot of the the cell artwork from animation they had um sculpture work they had designer pieces like they had armani and yadro sculptures and they had um collectible figurines and all these designer people that would come in and make like handbags like really expensive handbags that were like nicole miller at the time and christopher radko christmas ornaments and um, so it was a really cool experience of Disney that wasn't traditional that I also liked and had fun with. So I, I'm sorry, I did that after the college program. Then we moved out there. Then I worked at the parks and resorts. Um, and then for a short stint, I also worked at Jelly Rolls, which is a dueling piano bar at uh, the Boardwalk Resort out there. And then that's it. Sorry, I'm that's, rambling like that's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So you, okay. So growing up, yes, I worked at a record store and I loved music mm-hmm. and I loved working at a record store. And it also made me become like a collector mm-hmm. or a hoarder of, of cool stuff. You're a music fanboy. Yeah. Yeah. So working at the Disney store, has this um, and and having and and being such a fan, have you started any kind of collection? Like, I haven't. But, oh, which that's is so funny. good though. Yeah, it's which is funny because if you go to my mom's place, I actually went one Christmas when I was there and counted like almost two hundred Mickey heads of some form in her house. Like she collects all that, like the stuff that you'd find in those stores. I'm more of a. It sounds so elitist and shitty, but I'm I'm kind of more of a back end like cerebral person. Like I like the processes behind things. I'm not so much into uh, like, like the, 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 the IP and the you know the, the plush and the this you know collecting all the movies. Like I collect. I have a lot of memorabilia from my program or things, you know, being associated with that program. The only true, I have some pins, like some people do, but the only true collection I have is uh, they have trash can salt and pepper shakers that they come out with. So in the parks, like all the different lands would have themed trash cans and they're painted to look like whatever land they're in. And so they actually came out with a salt and pepper um, collection. And so I have those, I have like eight of those, but it's not huge. That's where my collection lies. It's weird. But I have books and things, you know, about like poster art and, and the Imagineers and things like that. Like that's more, I want to know the hows and the whys, not so much. You know, yeah, I, I get it. That, that's that's the so interesting. Side of things. Yeah. That's so cool. I have way more Harry Potter stuff in my house <laughs> than I do Disney stuff for sure. That's another That's another podcast. That's another podcast yeah. altogether because yeah. I know nothing about Harry. Yeah. Uh, a couple of friends of mine were deep into a Harry Potter conversation last night and I, I thought they were yeah. talking a different language. It's crazy. I, I had no idea what they were talking about. But yeah, the, um, but working there, of course, got me, got the seed planted. And so I had, I, I'm a fan from a different perspective. I'm, I'm a fan from that kind of cast member side of the coin versus so much, uh, you know, yeah, like like, born like, and raised going to all the movies as a kid. Like I didn't do that. So I'm, I'm more of the back end side. That's kind of more where my experience is. It's more, you know, physical and, you know, being on trips and being in these places and that experience versus... What, culture. what have been some uh, pleasant surprises that you weren't expecting from uh, Disney Plus? I, I'm surprised that they put all the, I was going through this morning, like what all they do have currently. I was surprised that they put um, like the old Mickey Mouse shorts on there. Like I don't, I'm not super familiar with those. I actually only know of a lot of them from working at that Disney gallery because we'd have some of the, right, like, the like, feature art. Like from, Steamboat Mickey and yeah, that type of stuff? Yeah, like all those old ones. I, those are there. I haven't gotten into those yet, but I really would like to. Um, 
I think it's funny when I talked about how I think they're a millennial based um, service. And one of the reasons that kind of validates that is they have a whole category called 90s throwbacks. So it's like, you know, that they're 90s hitting. Throwbacks. Yeah. So it's like, which is funny because they also have like um, the Emperor's New Groove and what is it? The Goofy movie, which I know like every 90s kid that I'm familiar with just like loves these and I've never seen them. But part of that is because I hate Goofy. So I'm going to like, now that they're there, I'll force myself to watch it. But, you know, there's this definite 90s uh, market that they're tapping into. But then they've got all like the, like I said, the little kids um, features, what's it called? The junior series. Um, so that's all like the the little, little kids can watch all the TV shows that they have out now. So that's, that's cool that, you know, they're kind of centered. I like that they have um, some original series. I like that the Pixar shorts that they would put before the animated features. So like Bao and Piper. Oh yeah. These little shorts that they had. That was something really cool that when Pixar started coming out is like when you started, when we started going to the, the Pixar movies, you, you looked forward to those shorts, but then it was also a bummer because like, it was like, you never see them. You never saw them again. And now you get to watch them, which is great. Cause some of those are, are really great. Or they've got, um, there's a whole series with Forky from toy story four, which I still haven't seen yet. No spoilers. Um, so Forky has like, what is time? What is money? And you can watch just all these like two minute quick really? know, things. It's, they're pretty cute. Are they like kind of like educational type stuff? Yeah. Like a little bit educational, but it's using the toy story characters in the, right. in the bedroom and all that. So it's really cute. Um, the other, they've got like holiday movies. Like, uh, right now they've got the movie Noel that came out with Anna Hendrick and Bill Hader and Shirley MacLaine, which I watched, which was cute. Um, is that an original? Yep. That's an original. It's only really? on Disney+. Bill Plus. Hader? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love him. Yeah, he's great. He's, he's really, amazing. Really great. Um, what did you think of, darn it, I had this on my head. The Oh, speaking of original content, have you had a chance to watch The uh, uh, Lady and the Tramp? I have not. There's something about that live action one that I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> just... I was on a train and I watched oh, it. And, well, you know, what, you know how it got me is like I was on a train and we'll, we'll get to this next. I was on a train watching The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And then when The Mandalorian ended, it was just like. Just rolled into that. It just rolled into it. Yeah. And I was like. Might as well. I might as well. Yeah. And I, I loved it. That's good. I cried. Oh, like, really? At least two or three oh. times. But I'm a crier. So. Yeah. Um, so the that, that's going to segue to um, were you at all excited about the Mandalorian? Where are you on Star Wars? Yeah, so I um, was explaining before I'm a Star Wars fan, but I'm not a Star Wars nerd. So again, being the Gen Xer, like I saw a Jedi in the theater, and before that, my dad had like bootleg copies of VHS Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back that we used to watch all the time. Um, so I've been a fan as long as I've basically been alive but not like i haven't read any of the books i said i haven't you know gotten too deep into understanding that, okay, so that world yeah you're like a movie fan yeah. of star wars not yeah, yeah, yeah. like a star wars i'm gonna say it not a star wars yeah. nerd right yeah no, that's true it's yeah. true um and then like the i was telling you like the prequels that came out i watched them once because it was like a prerequisite and i had to and i hated them so i haven't seen them since but maybe if i'm really bored i can watch them on d plus <laughs> that, that's that's everybody yeah, in the world just, on the I prequels know. i just didn't win a fan so yeah um, you don't you don't have to feel bad yeah. about thinking that <laughs> but i love all the new the sequels i love all the new movies that are coming out um i just think they're really enjoyable and so of course there's the mandalorian and it's just it was done really well. Like the production value, when you watch the trailers, I'm like, this looks like a feature film. And then, you know, finding out that John Favreau created it or, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard's the director. And like, so it's got, you know, star power behind it and people that have, you know, not just star yeah. power, but people we, like people that I love. Yeah. I love both of those people like John Favreau going all the way. I can't like, I'm still like, I can't believe that's the dude from Rudy. Yeah. Right. He was it's, the, he was the oh, best. Oh wait, no, he was, uh, yes. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah John yeah, yeah. Favreau yeah, yeah, yeah. was the was best, best friend. was yep. the best friend in yep. Rudy. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Vince Vaughn was also in that. Yeah. was also in Rudy. I was like, I think back to watching, I'm like, this is the same guy that was in PCU and, um, swingers, you know, he's swingers. Yeah. Now it's just crazy. Um, but yeah. And it's, it's really cool too. like, even just the star power that they're pulling out to do just these quick cameo roles, just because they want to be a part of that whole universe. So like, you've got like who Nick wouldn't Nol- want to like be Nick Nolte, like <laughs> in yeah. there. Horatio Sands was actually in the first, I picked it up on his voice. I'm a weird person where I can identify voices. So I picked him up as the, uh, the, the bounty, the character that he picked up in the very first episode that was on his, um, on his airship, um, that he then froze and then, that was, Horatio Sands? that was Horatio Sands's voice on that character. Uh, wow, I, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, so it was crazy. So like that or last night, um, Amy Sedaris, 
um, was a character on the most recent episode, which is, it, I mean, just pulling from everywhere. Brian Prosain was in one episode, one of the first two episodes. That, yeah. that episode went crazy yeah. uh, here locally. Everybody was like, Brian Prosain. And this is before, I mean, I was intrigued in this. And of course, you know, the elephant in the room. This is before Baby Yoda showed up. That's where we're going. Holy shit. That okay, so, so cute. Did I, okay, so I, I love Star Wars enough that when I was like, I'm going to have to watch The yeah. Mandalorian. Yeah. But I don't know, Star like how you said, mm-hmm. like, I, I didn't read the books. I don't know anything about the universes. Mm-hmm. I didn't know going into The Mandalorian that there was going to be a baby Yoda. No, they kept Did it under you? wraps. No, they kept it under wraps. So nobody knew. Nobody knew. They, they <sighs> talked about how they didn't even release any merchandise because they didn't, which is very uncharacteristic. Like yeah. they'll, they'll put shit out on the market before, I'm swearing a lot, sorry. They'll put That's it out okay. on the market a lot before they We're even release podcast. something. Yeah. So nobody knew they kept it. The fact that they kept it under wraps and kept the merchandise even a secret um, when people were not even sure after the fact if it was even going to come out um, was all because they wanted it to be this huge surprise. And then they talked about how um, uh, Werner Herzog was who's plays a character in the show. Yes, also. Yes. He he was kind of a the big factor of getting that character to be in the show as it was because they were going to make CGI uh, Baby Yoda. And he had seen the puppet that they made and they're like, you're crazy. You need to put this in the show. And so he was almost like the person who kind of checked it off and they were like, all right, I guess we'll use it. So, wow. And then it's the most adorable thing ever. It's, it killed, like I have to be glued. Like I'll be doing something else while it's on maybe and kind of just like pay attention. But every scene that Yoda baby's on the screen, I have to just watch every little move it makes. Cause it's so. We're going to talk a little bit about baby Yoda right yeah. now. Uh, how, I, I freaked out. I think I squealed. Uh, I when yeah. when the did you watch it with your family? You're watching it alone. Yeah, we were just watching with my husband at home, and just I was like, oh my god, this thing! Like when they do the first shot of its face. I mean, it's because Yoda. I mean, come on, Yoda himself is not the most attractive creature, <laughs> but this thing is. I mean, he's wearing a burlap sack for God's sake. Which <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, if if Yoda baby was wearing a onesie, would he be as cute as he is wearing this potato sack? I think the answer is pretty much yes, but you got to admit that the little thing, the little like cowl on his neck. I mean, somebody draw us a Yoda. It. Somebody please draw us a Yoda oh baby God. in a onesie. He's so cute. What did you? Th- okay, so let's 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 fast forward a little bit with Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. Baby Yoda. The first time you realized, oh shit, is Baby Yoda gonna use the Force to save? Oh right. Right? How excited, how great was that scene? That was really cool. And I'm surprised, I'm curious because he hasn't done it since. Like he hasn't helped him out in any other situation yet or hasn't used the force yet. So it's like, I don't know if that just tapped him out for like a good while and he's done right. and he's regenerating. Um, I've but read, how, how much were you cheering for, for Yoda to use so the cool. force? I just it, didn't want it to kill him, but it looks like it was all good. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, and then he's passed out he for like a He just went to a baby coma for a while. Yeah. It's all good. That was the most adorable thing, just seeing tired, exhausted baby Yoda. And I've read an article like about what his purpose is and why he's potentially a key factor in the story. And um, I mean, I can understand it's interesting. But again, it kind of taps into that Star Wars lore that like a lot of people already know about um, from some things that George Lucas had written about in the books or mentioned briefly. And um, it has to do with the force, but. Do you know how? Do you know uh, what the plan is for the Mandalorian? Is it how many episodes? How many seasons? What's the? I, I haven't looked into that yet. I'm not sure. I'd imagine it's going to be one of those things where they were probably going to just test it out and then go from there and see what happens. I think they're possibly surprised maybe by how well it's done, or I don't know if they knew how well Baby Yoda was going to go over. Yeah, you think they were just yeah. like the Mandalorian, and then now they're like, just oh the, wait, yeah. this is Baby Yoda. It's not even the Mandalorian yeah. anymore. Because I think they're I think the idea was just to create a bunch of these spinoff um shows which is i don't want to say easier to do but it's there's a lot less that has to go into the promotion of them than you know putting out a giant blockbuster film because they put uh the kibosh on that for a while because they i think the the sort of non-success of the solo movie the solo movie yeah kind of put the brakes on that they realized and i've it was even bob Iger, i think who mentioned that they made a mistake by releasing so many of these sequel movies at one time it just kind of put them off the rails so they um, put the brakes on that for a while. And so I think they're going to focus on just doing more of these smaller stories. And maybe if something gets popular like this one, you know, maybe that'll turn it into a movie. But uh, I mean, why mess with a good thing? It's going pretty strong right now. So, yeah, we'll it see. is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you've heard that is in the works that on Disney Plus that you're kind of looking forward to or, or something that 
Something yes. that, that you hope? Oh, that, that was a quick yes. Yes. Let's hear the I, yes. I've got notes. That I'm was looking a, at my computer. That was a yes and a huge smile. <laughs> like, that was like, that's that's the, yeah, let's so, explain. the explain. Tell yeah. me. So anybody that doesn't have um, Disney Plus, they've got, um, it's kind of segmented into categories. So there's Disney, there's Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic, which I don't know how I didn't realize that they own National Geographic, but I shouldn't be surprised. Um, so with... Uh, Marvel, I know they've released a lot of upcoming original series based on the MCU. Um, my thing with uh, Marvel, I'm kind of in the same boat as Star Wars, where I'm not a comic book nerd. I didn't grow up on comics. I haven't really read any comics, but I'm a huge MCU fan because I like movies. And I just like the way those stories are told with their, the sarcasm and they make them feel like real characters. And, you know, watching DC movies is just not the same thing. So... Um, Marvel has um, original series on there. They've got actually two uh, kind of along the same lines as the Imagineering series. There's two just really quick um, documentaries on the Marvel segment um, called Assembling a Universe and Expanding the Universe. And Assembling a Universe kind of talks about how the MCU came to be, which and John Favreau and kind of creating that whole um, production, which I didn't realize at the time, even though he had like, um, Robert Downey Jr. and um, what's her face uh, Gwyneth Paltrow um, and all these star players in there that actually it, would, it started as like an independent film company it wasn't really attached to any major production company and it because of the popularity it just blew into its own oh thing. wow yeah really? I didn't know that so it was cool to watch that and see how that all developed and then expanding the universe um, was from one of the recent comic cons I think where they explain all the upcoming shows that they're going to bring out to Disney plus so going to my list. Um, so on Marvel, they've got uh, just some featured ones like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to be a series that they're going to put on just Disney Plus um, with those two characters from the MCU. There's WandaVision, which is um, the the witch and then the Vision are together as a couple. And that one to me is really interesting because I like kind of retro things, too. And I guess this show is kind of half like modern world but then half like 50s sitcom style oh i love almost like it's almost like those two characters like they're literally in this like i love lucy type of environment and part of the show and i don't know how it all plays together but that's like the most unique looking thing that i've seen and that's coming soon that's coming yeah that is early 2021 it says so a little bit ways off okay um there's a show for loki is coming out there's a show called What If, which is a really cool concept where it's kind of like, what if this ended up happening to the characters instead and kind of taking these existing MCU characters and spinning them off into this other tangent, you know? Oh, wow. Almost like a choose your own adventure. Like, what, you know, what happens if we go to this direction with them? Um, Hawkeye's getting its own show. Uh, Marvel 6161. I don't know what that is. There's a Ms. Marvel and then there's Moon Knight. Uh, and then She-Hulk, and those are more um, new, sort of newish characters that they're coming out with that don't have release dates yet. But do you know who's playing She-Hulk? I don't. I think it's so early in development. I don't think they have a whole. Okay. I mean, they don't even have a release date on that one, so I don't know that they're. Um, but that's coming, huh? That's coming. And then for the Disney side of things, there is an article on Collider.com um, for upcoming Disney Plus movie release dates, and that's kind of a list of all the things that they're dumping on there, you know, month by month. So all of the old shows like George of the Jungle and like the, um, even some of the newer stuff, like the new Mary Poppins, the live action one's going to be on there or some of the, the live action um, Cinderella is going to be on there as well. Um, Black Panther is finally going to be coming out on that too. But then oh, they're, wow. yeah, so all they're slowly just releasing all the things, but they're all staying kind of more in like the, the nineties to now era. Um, they're also National Treasures coming out, which is one of my favorite movies ever. Really? Uh, yeah, so that's coming. There's um, another documentary, which is cool, that I just saw called Walt and El Grupo. Um, and that's from the 60s when um, the U.S. tapped him to be an ambassador to South America. And he went out on this big trip with some of his Imagineers and illustrators. And that's kind of where... Um, Three Caballeros came out of and just that whole oh wow yeah that whole era of of films that he did or or shorts that he did that kind of focused on the South America that came from that trip um, and all the inspiration that he had. So there's gonna be a documentary about that trip. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. So that's gonna be really cool. Um, In terms of what I would love to see on there, um, I think going back to the beginning, you know, and again, because with our age, we didn't grow up with the 1950s television version of Disney, like the Wonderful World of Color 
or when he presented Disneyland for the first time every week and came out and talked to you know the general public and got them psyched up for what that was going to be. Okay. Uh, I would love to see some of those old like 50s or 50s and 60s era Walt TV shows come back on like the Wonderful World of Color. Um, and he had like adventure series that he did back then because he was big into adventure and travel. Um, just some of those old ones that are, you know, kind of like you need to learn this history of it too, America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to see those. I would also love to see um, one of the untapped um, acquisitions that they have. They don't really do a lot of, but uh, they own the Muppets. And I'm not sure what the extent of owning the Muppets is. And there might be some licensing that they don't quite have control over. I meant to look it up, but I didn't. But I would love if they brought like the old Muppet show back on. Oh my God. And just, had whole... just have it there yeah. like every season. Because if they've got the rights to that, you need to put that back on. They TV. had great musical guests. <laughs> yes. They had great guests. And I loved, I think probably one of the first things that made me want to be funny was the judges on the Muppet so show. So good. Yeah, the um the two the, Statler and Waldorf. Oh wait, what are their names? Statler and Waldorf, the critics that set up in the thing. Yes. They're, yeah, that's they're some of my favorite characters of all time. Those are those two guys are some of my yeah, some of my favorite characters. I, I I I still remember like they would say, Why do we always come here? <laughs> I guess we'll never <laughs> no. know. It must be some kind of torture to watch the Muppet <laughs> show. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that needs to be on, period. Um and it's funny and tying back in, circling around um the friday show actually one of our ins early inspirations for the friday show was the muppet show like having that just very laid back you know how they have like the, the the behind the scenes you know backstage area of the muppet show that they always go to like we wanted it to be kind of more transparent in that sense so it's yeah not quite I, so. I recently watched the muppet movie on oh, yeah? disney plus nice. yeah i watched the muppet movie so that's Wait. there so they need to bring i didn't even know that was there so that's how long it's, it's there i watched through. it and it had to be because it's on Disney Plus. Nice. I hope I'm not wrong. Well, I hope you're not wrong either, because then that would mean there's no reason they shouldn't put the Muppet Show on this. Thing. Yeah, then that's then that's lining up our, our hopes and dreams. Yes, but that's that's all I know about for sure of what's coming. But yeah, I do. I would like to see some of that older 50s, 60s era programming come on, just to to get that full history and not just be so like are the old Mickey Mouse Club. Um, I, those aren't on there. Those aren't on there. Mm -mm. Oh, I think it's yeah. just the Mickey shorts. Um, I, they may they may have added. It's been a while since I kind of trolled through the whole selection. Um, but just imagineering in general. Like I know we're going back to that series, the Imagineering story. I would implore everybody to watch that, even if you're not a Disney fan. Which I think I, it's a good place to jump off. It's into. a great place to kind of understand where they're coming from and to understand the one thing that, especially from working behind the scenes or as a cast member, is this is this sounds crappy, but Disney fans are very protective and to some degree they're very entitled and they get really angry like when Disney things don't go well, like when Disney shows that they're a company, you know, because they're a company and maybe they have a misstep and they're, you know, they get trashed really easily. People are really, you know, quick to to slam them for things. But I think this is a great way to remind everyone that, hey, they are a company, they have ups and downs. And they even talk about, you know, things that they've done that were big mistakes. Like when California Adventure first came out, and I'm primarily from the East Coast, so I'm only familiar with the modern version of California Adventure, but they showed what that park was when it first opened, which I don't recognize at all. And I never knew existed in that format. And so it was really interesting to see how that was really a failure for them and how they then kind of rebooted it you know, when Bob Iger came in and made it something that, that was more appealing to everyone. Um, it's interesting to see the cross-pollination of the parks, like what things that were in Walt Disney World that inspired what is now at Disneyland or vice versa, you know, rides that worked in one place that inspired something else. Like um, the most recent episode was about Cars Land and how they were trying to figure out how to make these cars on the um, Radiator Springs ride work and what would be the best way to manipulate them. And then they remembered that they have this whole ride in Epcot called Test Track, which basically is that same function. The cars ride the same way, but it's just a different premise. It's kind of a like you're actually test driving a car, but they were able to tap into that and bring it into this park and make something really crazy and amazing um, with the Cars Land area. Um, it's interesting to see how they tapped into other markets around the world. So they talk about like the international parks and that's like a international marketing 101, just watching what they had to go through to get these parks, you know, put into play. But I also like it because it shows you that the Imagineers aren't just creating rides 
and in working in parks, but showing how they create technology and how that influences not only what they do, but what the world does. And there was one clip when a news person was saying, I forget who the quote was by, but somebody said that all the projects in New York that need to get done should go through Walt Disney because they actually know how to finish something. So like they get things done, they know how to do it. And yes, they have problems and yes, they have hiccups, but overall, you know, they generally have their heart in the right place and they generally, you know, do things with a greater purpose than just making a buck, even though a lot of people like to think of it that way. But um, you know, just seeing the problems that they had opening Disneyland or opening any of the new parks. Yeah, is, yeah. You know, when people, when they're still trying to dry the asphalt on the first day at Disneyland because people were getting their shoes stuck and the bathrooms broke down and the one story where Walt had to decide, um, there's a plumbing issue, <laughs> excuse me, and they had to decide, do we um, not have the bathrooms available or do we not have water fountains and water available? Like which one, he could only fix one, which one did he have to do? So of course he fixes the bathrooms, but then everybody accuses him of forcing them to buy Coca-Cola because yeah, like they yeah. said, like he did it on purpose. <laughs> like, you know, you don't understand that. Um, it's really cool footage that they have. Some of the, the footage is amazing and is so well-preserved and just looks. And it looks so cool. It's uh, like, it's shot so beautifully yes. on like the, yeah. And how they have some of it even is just amazing to me. And just being able to see the development side of that. Um, but, you know, when I'm saying like people that kind of trash on Disney, because there are definitely people that are just, they're anti-Disney, I think, just out of premise. <laughs> they just, you yeah. know, they don't want to admit that they like it as much as they do. But even if you aren't into the characters and aren't into the stories and that's not your bag, I think you still have to, you can't watch this program and not just respect them as a company and what they're trying to do. Um, you know, in Florida, their big competition is universal. And so I know that there's a part that's, probably them trying to catch up to the times always, which they're trying to do, but like Disney passed on Harry Potter. So that's why Universal has it now is because they passed on it. Universal grabbed it. And so I think they realized what a very big mistake that was wow. <laughs> obviously. So I think there's other reasons that they try to up their game a little bit, like acquiring Marvel because, you know, Universal has a lot of the DC characters there. So I think there's things that they do out of a competitive standpoint Sometimes I think they get a little overzealous with how many things they're acquiring, you know? Yeah, sometimes it seems aggressive. Yeah, it's super aggressive. Um, but I, I get it. And I think the more you watch this show, you realize that, you know, why they do it and that they're just trying to be relevant and trying to ensure that they can grow into the future. But one of the things on the most recent episode that they talked about was um, their influence overseas in like Tokyo and how that market... Um, that was the first market that they opened up. And I didn't realize that the Tokyo Disneyland opened up just six months after Epcot did. So they were opening up at the same time. But how much that culture loves Disney because during wartime, um, they weren't allowed to watch any other pop culture. So that was kind of one of the few things that came in. So there's so many people in Japan that grew up watching Disney. They have this emotional connection to it, just like people here do. So that park, you know, was something that was brought in and done to the same standards as it is here. They wanted, you know, everything to be perfect. Um, and then fast forward to um, what they talked about in this recent episode in 2011 when they had the big earthquake there. Um, one of the cast members that oversees um, the park there, or one of the Imagineers, he was talking about what the connection is to Disney and not just pop culture, but just culture in general. Um, with the earthquake, he mentioned kind of similar to 9-11, which I was actually working at Walt Disney World during 9-11 and just, you know, the park shuts down and this the whole country's on this just state of alert. And it was kind of like that with the earthquake where the park shut down just out of respect because of everything that was going on because it was such a catastrophic event um, that they, you know, the country needed time to mourn. But unlike the United States where, you know, the president comes on and kind of addresses the nation and reassures them like, you know, we're going to go on. It's time to, you know, get back to a normal life and, and everything's okay and everything's going to be okay. He said in Japan, we didn't have that. You know, the president wasn't coming on and saying, you know, it's good to go. So Disney realized they needed to reopen the park to kind of fill that void and tell people that it's okay to be happy again and, and kind of get back to normal life. And he, as I'm doing, he started crying when he's telling this story because he said, you know, people are rushing into the park and going up to Mickey Mouse and just saying thank you. And they were just so, you know, eager to get back to, things that made them happy. And so I think that's where, you know, you watch this show and you realize that it's not just about making a dollar. And of course you could, you know, cut that up any way you want. And to a degree it is, but I think there that overall it's, you know, the connection that they make to people and, and their experiences in life and, and learning and, and just being with each other and, you know, like the world showcase and celebrating cultures. And, you know, it's, it goes so much 
beyond that. And it's cool if you don't like Disney and you want to bash on it. But like I said, you just you can't watch these shows and not realize how important they are to the culture. That's all. You know, I I watched uh, the Imagineers because you recommended it, and I immediately fell in love with it. And while I was watching it, I was really thinking to myself. I wish I could be watching this with Tina. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's where the whole idea of just having you come on and, and I, it felt really selfish of me to just like, I want to have her on my podcast just so we could talk about yeah. Disney. And uh, thank you for coming over this morning and telling me all of these great stories about your love of, of Disney and thank Disney you for letting plus. Me ramble, yeah. And um, does there anything we didn't cover? Let me check my notes. <laughs> you um, have notes. I love it. I think I got pretty much. I think we covered. You yeah, know, we covered pretty much everything. Tina, thank you for being you. I I know I have told you thank you many times, oh, and uh, you, you you have helped me out tremendously with, uh, you know, booking the and and you always say it's your job, yeah, right? It is. And but <laughs> it it's like I I I appreciate everything you do for the the Sacramento Comedy Spot. And every every email response that you've given me, and it's always been good news, you know. Oh, thank you. And uh, and and I look forward to, to continue to work with you and continue to seeing you, and uh, and asking you questions about. Oh, did you see this? Did you see that? Please, yeah. I I sometimes feel bad, like I'm talking to a wall because <laughs> no. I don't have anybody to talk to. But yeah, no. Um, I I appreciate coming on and being able to you know kind of veer off the comic path and and talk about something like this. And like I said, I tend to ramble a little bit but um but. it was great and i i love that you're able to do it and for those who don't know jesse rivera he is literally one of the nicest human beings on the planet period and i look forward to the fact that he loves every single day that he's alive and i think it's really cool thank you tina thank you jesse all right bye bye <laughs> hey man that's the podcast thanks for tuning in I hope you enjoyed. I hope you laughed a little bit. I hope you learned a little bit. I hope you come back. Peace. Take care of one another.